At Sisu, we take a very scientific approach to making sure our technologically advanced, doctor-developed, scientifically-backed, industry-changing mouthguards are the most protective, lightest, talkable, breathable, comfortable, drinkable, remoldable mouthguards on the planet to guarantee you're protected. <clears throat> no matter what comes your way, the Sisu Next Gen. Sisu. Talk. Breathe. Drink. This call is being recorded. Yo, AT, uh, we're late. 11 minutes late. <laughs> <laughs> feels so normal. Yeah, it feels very, very, very normal. But on with us right now, Matt Brown, offensive coordinator, University of Denver. Uh, in, in, incredible uh, offensive mind uh, and a major reason for Denver's success uh, with uh, Bill Tierney coming on board. Uh, how many years has it been, Matt? Oh, man. Uh, you put me on the spot here. Um, how many Six? years has it been? It's, this is our eighth year with uh, Coach Tierney here, and then, then I was here for a prior three or four. So I'm, gonna, I'm in my 11th or 12th season at Denver here. That's incredible. That's incredible. I'm going to start off the questions, Matt. Um, and it's important for me to always kind of ask him from the coach's perspective. Um, but one of the things I've always been fascinated with is the development of schemes and how they've worked over uh, coaches' careers. Um, and specifically yours over the last five years. Um, how much has your system changed from – you know, from when you first took over as offensive coordinator to what it looks like today. Yeah, no, I, I think it. I think it changes year to year, and, and I think it, it it does so first and foremost, you know, definitely based upon the personnel that you have. And uh, you know, let's let's not kid ourselves. Great players make coaches look good, and, and we've been very blessed and fortunate to have a lot of great players come through our program. The, in the last decade or so but uh you know every year you're you know you, you have a different identity you're, you're a little stronger in one area than than another and so um you tweak you tweak things um in general you know our, our principles of of ball movement um you know being able to swing the ball from from one side of the field to, to the other um being able to you know as we catch the ball look back to the ball side, look to the inside, look to the back side are, are kind of some of our key principles and just trying to, to push our guys to be great decision makers under a lot of stress. And, um, you know, and I think, you know, what that's done is it's, it's, it's helped our guys become better lacrosse players. You know, one, one of my goals here you know, at the university of Denver is, you know, not just to win national championships. That's the goal every single year, but, I want to make sure that when the guys leave this place, there's some of the best lacrosse players in the world and that they can go on and they can play at any level in any league. And um, we've had a few guys that have done that. So it definitely changes, um, but it just depends upon your personnel. Brownie, uh, there's no question you've established yourself as, you know, arguably the best offensive mind in the sport. Um, How much do you script your offense versus, uh, you know, sort of letting them play within the framework of schematic support. When I was coaching, you know, teams that had lesser overall talent, I felt like I needed to script more of the off-ball support to support the Dodgers. Um, But then as you get to play or you get the, you know, you get better talent, you can kind of allow them to make – their own decisions and their own plays. You know, I, 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 obviously you just referenced that you're coaching great players, but the players that you recruit benefit from playing under arguably the best offensive mind in the sport. You know, how do you create that balance of creating a scheme that supports these guys as players, but doesn't suffocate them or their creativity on the offensive end? Yeah, I, I, Andy, I think it's a great question, and I think you see this a lot, not, not only in our game, but in in all sports, is the, the, the overcoaching, and you're trying to micromanage, you know, every little piece of it, and, and I think your philosophy on it is exactly right, you know, and, and I think it's, 
you know, the way I look at it is it's, it's during the season, it can change. You know, there's times during the year where you're just not flowing yet. You know, you, you haven't created that tempo. Uh, your guys haven't gelled together. Maybe you don't have the chemistry uh, that, that you'd like to have. Maybe you're still uh, mix matching lines up and trying guys in different positions. And, and so, therefore, there definitely needs to be uh, – it definitely needs to be a little more choreographed. Um, and hopefully near the end of the season, you, you've done your part as far as educating these guys and, and teaching them the right reads uh, so that you can loosen the reins a little bit. Um, you know, I think, you know, all being offensive players here, all being attackmen who like to get the ball on our stick near the end of the play, you know, we, we all three of us would love to be in a system where it's free-flowing and all six guys on the on the field are cutting and moving and picking for each other and the ball spinning around. Ideally, that's that's where you want to get to. Um, but at the same time, you, you got to make sure you're not careless with it. You know, possession is so valuable. You know, possession is really, really important. And so uh, there's that balance. There's that balance of choreographing an offense and, and make sure you guys are on the same page, but at the same time, you know, not stifling the individual skill sets of each one of your players. So um, I think it's an ongoing thing, and I think it depends upon the time of the season. And every once in a while, you got to go back. You know, if you loosen the reins and, and it starts to get a little bit, little bit too loose, then you got to tighten things back and you got to pull it back in. And hopefully, come May, um, your guys are, are playing uh, at their, their best game. Can you talk specifics, Brownie, about – uh, you know, you said, obviously, from a big picture standpoint at Denver, you guys are, listen, the end goal every time as a program is to win the national championship. Um, you know, but along with that goal, you stated that you want these guys to graduate after their four years of playing under, you know, uh, you guys to have reached their potential as lacrosse players. Um, can you talk specific, go through maybe one or two drills that you use at DU to accelerate the playmaking characteristic of your offensive players. And, and by that specifically, I mean, you know, there are goal scorers and there are guys that are feeders, right? But I think that the, any offensive coach's dream is to have six playmakers out there knowing that how the defense decides to play you really dictates who, who gets the shots, who makes the feeds, and as a true playmaker, you know, somebody's ability to go 4-0 uh, or 0-4 or simply 0-0 and maybe have a handful of hockey assists are what really makes an offense the most dangerous. Do you have specific drills that you use at DU, whether it's in the fall uh, or whatever it may be, to accelerate the playmaking characteristic of guys that come to your program as maybe primarily goal scorers or primary assist guys to make them dangerous in both areas? Well, another great question, Andy. And, and I think, um, you know, one of the things that, that I try to stress, especially early on in the season, in the fall, and the early part of the spring season, is, is that you want to try to develop all your guys with all the skills. And yeah. then what happens is, is as, you, as you get into the year and you get a little bit deeper, you, you really find out who does specific skills the best. And then you try to put those specific guys in position to win games and but you, you got to develop the, the complete player you know I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that and you know we, we do a lot of stuff we're we're a heavy stick work shooting uh, team you know we spend a lot of time on the fundamentals of how to catch the ball how to swing the ball how to catch it loaded how to dodge off the catch you know everything off of the ball movement and then, then we're we're a team that focuses a lot offensively on a variety of different form for small-sided games where you know you have to make quick decisions. So you know we're gonna we're gonna tell the defense to slide quickly to you. So you have to make a decision on where did they feel from? Are they pushing out at X? Are they collapsing from the top down? Does the ball go forward? Does the ball go back? And then once we make that initial pass, it's our head up and our progression. Back to the ball side, look inside, push to the backside, and can we make those reads quickly? And and we put it we put a time frame on that, you know. And I, I think I think by challenging guys in practice and, and putting them under as much stress as you possibly can in practice to make good decisions, 
uh, is really going to pay off in, in the long term. And in any aspect of the game, and whatever you're focusing on, but any aspect of the game, it's going to pay off in the long term. So the game slows down for them when they go live and they're playing on Saturdays. So, Browning, so, so you, you emphasize read progression, decision, and execution under you know, a shrinking time frame as the season goes on so that these guys are able to manage any level of pressure that they may see, correct? Absolutely. That's correct. Can you talk specifically on how you teach your scorers? How do you develop deception? You know, obviously the big difference between, you know, the Canadians and the Americans, in my opinion, are that the Canadians really show up as masters of deception, looking low, shooting high, looking bright, shooting left, showing push, bragging pull. How do you develop that specific skill set in your players when they arrive to, to campus, assuming they're not Westberg and guys north of the border that already kind of show up on campus with that dynamic? How do you develop deception in a shooter? Yeah, it's uh... – and we work a lot on it, and uh, it's it's a tough thing to teach. But I, I think where the mistake happens a lot of the time is, I think guys have a way too much waste and movement in their in their stick. And uh, you know, you see, you get these kids that, that that think you know throwing a big pump fake you know on on the inside is is what really makes it happen. What what I try to do is is, is teach less is more. And stick just kind of being over your shoulder. And you know, the the more subtle that your fake can be with a, just a quarter rotation of your top hand or a little look with your head up high, high yeah. and keeping your stick above your shoulder, that's really what makes the difference. You know, it's really about the quickness of your release. You know, the goalies react, all goalies react different, differently. And so if your stick's moving all over the place, you know, there's a lot more room for error. There's a lot more room to guess from a goaltender standpoint. Whereas if I keep that thing over my shoulder and I work on my subtle fakes, my, my top hand quick fakes and my, my body leans, um, you know, that's kind of what we're, we're getting at. But the biggest thing where it starts with is teaching the catch. Can you catch and cushion and hold? And, and those are the terms we talk about. Catch, cushion, and hold above your shoulder and keep it there rather than catch the ball and then start moving your top hand too much. And, and, I, and I think as you break it down and we break it all the way down and we continue to do this every single week, it's a simple partner shuffle passing where they're shuffling up the field yep. and they hold it above their shoulder. Their butt end has to be facing their target. Their top hand is soft and relaxed and they have to hold the ball. It's not a quick stick. They have to hold the ball on their stick to develop that feel. Because uh, an actual goal scorer is going to have a nice top-hand feel of the ball in yeah. its pocket. So that, that's some of the things we focus on. What do you mean by cushion? What does that mean? Cushion meaning that you know, you're, you're catching the ball. When your stick makes contact, when your pocket makes contact with the ball, it's actually near the back half of your head or behind your head above your shoulder. Yeah. Your, your stick is not making contact in front of your nose or in front of your face. Got it. Don't reach uh -huh. to catch it. Let catch the ball deep. Catch the ball deep. And the other thing that if you catch the ball deep is you, you can't snap at it, you know, and, and how many snappers are there? You know, every D guy in the in the country in high school is a snapper, you know, yep. and we, we want to get rid of those snaps. I guess uh, we'll kind of finish up here uh, and get your thoughts about uh, the recruiting rules that were just implemented. Um, and one – I think it's a it's a big step in the right direction in terms of minimizing you know the early recruiting side and the ugly side of lacrosse um, and that and what's happening with you know eighth graders and ninth graders you know committing to schools very very early. However, are there challenges to this new rule? And were you shocked that it went and implemented right away? And what are your kind of first impressions? Because I'm sure there's still a lot of questions out there as to what exactly the wording is and all that kind of stuff. What, what are your initial thoughts on the new recruiting rules? Well, Ryan, you know, one, you know, I was very shocked that, that it got pushed through, you know, immediately. You know, we were kind of under, under the impression that it was going to get tabled and move move forward to next year. That was kind of some of the feedback that we received. Two, from day one, when this was introduced, um, myself and, and, and Coach Tierney and John Orson, our whole staff, we, we were adamant against this. And um, I'll tell you why. Wow. 
Uh, I'll tell you why. It's, uh, I, I think it looks great on the cover. I think it looks really good uh, uh, you know, on the, on the title page here. But when you dig a little deeper, um, and, and it makes us look good. You know, it makes us look good. But when you dig a little deeper, I think you're opening up a whole new can of worms with um, the direction that recruiting is going to go. You know, you're going to tell me that uh, these, the most competitive, some of the most competitive people in the world, Division One lacrosse coaches, are, are going to sit on their hands and, and not try to uh, continue to recruit a kid that is in eighth grade, ninth grade, or, or, or tenth grade uh, with these rules. Uh, you know, there, there's going to be ways around it. Already, you know, already I've had a ton of emails from recruiting services that have emailed us on the day this got announced saying, how can we help you recruiting? I've got emails from club coaches saying, let me know what you want me to tell Johnny. And I think what you're doing now is you're making it, you're making it even worse. You know, you're making it even worse. Right. You know, the, right. the one, the thing that was nice about the old way is that it was, it was up to every kid in every institution to do it his or, you know, his or her own, own way, however they wanted to, to do it. And, and, and we talk a lot of, a lot about it here at Denver is, your recruiting process is your recruiting process. I'll be the first one to tell you, we don't recruit like some of the other schools out there. You know, I'm not in a mad rush to try to gobble up as many, you know, 2019s as we possibly can. And, you know, we're comfortable with, with where we're at. And so, you know, I think by putting these more restrictions on there, I think you're, you're, you're going to ask club coaches, and we're in the club industry as well. We, we run a, a club here in Denver, but, you know, our parents are coming to us saying, well, what does this mean for us? How can you help us now? How can you be the middle person? And that's not a good thing. You know, that, that's, there, there's going to be way too much lost in the stream of communication having to go through a middle person now. And, and the kid can still come to campus and visit campus on, on his own time. He just can't say hi to you. Well, what a wasted opportunity right. to get to know the family and get to get to know the student athlete. So I think there's a lot of new things here that, you know, it looks great on cover, you know, and I, and I think we've taken a lot, a lot of backlash in the media on, on all this early recruiting over the recent years. And, and I think, you know, at first when it was brought up, I, I, I thought I really thought it was, you know, was meant well. But I don't think that we did enough diving into um, what's going to happen because we put it in place. So I, I think there's a lot of issues with it. I totally agree. And I was talking to Andy off the air um, that I felt like with a September 1st junior year, these kids now, and let's just say, let's just say the college coaches work in a perfect world, and you know they abide by the rules, right? Now kids have to decide on their schools within 12 months uh they have to figure out within 12 months where they're going to end up going to school that means if you play a, a second sport now all of a sudden you've got to go to what five six unofficial visits if you're at the top tier of your of your sport and your game in lacrosse now you got six or seven schools that are hunting you down to get on campus as soon as possible so that's great for the guys who are at the top of the world but what about the next tier of guys who are waiting out the first tier of guys, now they're making decisions in what, June and July? It's just not a lot of time, I feel like, if you're starting your process in June uh, or in September of your junior year. Am I, am I off with that, Brownie? No, I think you're, you're exactly right. It kind of pushes everybody back. And so, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to put, you know, a lot more stress on, on, on programs and, and families to, to make these decisions a little bit uh, quicker and sooner. You know, the other thing that, you know, I think that, people may have thought when they voted this thing through was, ah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, this might free up my summers a little bit. It, it might be better for quality of <laughs> life. You know, quality of life is always talked about within the college coaches. And and if, if you want quality of life, don't be in college coaching. You know, it's, it's just a, <laughs> it's a simple solution. You know, you, you're in college coaching. The, the, the best in the game are working 24-7. And, and that's the way it is. That's the way you want it to be. You know, I wouldn't have right. any other way. So, you know, I think there's a lot of issues. We'll see how it plays out. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. I don't I don't know if it's going to balance out the playing field. I don't know if it's it's going to help certain schools and other schools. I think it's just going to be a lot tougher on the families to make a quicker decision. And it's going to be a lot tougher on the coaches to get to know the student athletes and the families to make the correct decision. 
I love it, Brownie, man. I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Um, thank you for your time. Good luck uh, this weekend and obviously the future. I've got you in the Final Four, big dog, so you better not disappoint. Uh, go go, Pioneers, baby. Uh, but thank you so much for coming on. Brownie, thanks so much, man. You crushed it. I really appreciate the, uh, the peek behind the curtain. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Always enjoy talking to you, too. All right, man. Awesome, awesome. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we're going to have Ryan Polion from Boston University. At Sisu, we take a very scientific approach to making sure our technologically advanced, doctor-developed, scientifically-backed, industry-changing mouth guards are the most protective, lightest, talkable, breathable, comfortable, drinkable, removable mouth guards on the planet to guarantee you're protected. No matter what comes your way, the Sisu Next Gen. Sisu. Talk. Breathe. Drink. This call is being recorded. We got Ryan Poley on the air. He sounds like he's doing a lot of exercising. Uh, he's walking around. He's probably on the treadmill. He's getting a lot of energy out because obviously with the huge win over Loyola... This weekend, he's got a lot of pent-up energy, that's for sure. Ryan Poley, congratulations, first off. And secondly, was that the biggest win in program history? Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, we've had a lot of big wins over the first four years, but, but none against a, a team of Loyola's quality and, and certainly a high-pressure situation. And, uh, you know, against, uh, you know, to get over that hump that our program ha- has been looking to do for, for four years now. So, Unbelievable win. All the credit to the guys and just, you know, really excited for uh, the program to take that next step. So basically, um, you know, how many, this is your fifth year, is that fourth year? Is that correct, Rye? Yeah, we're in our fourth year. So uh, knowing what you do now as a fourth year coach and the incredible success that you've had starting off on this program um, and, and just the pace that you've gone on, do you look back over your four years and, and one, how much have you learned? And two, would you change anything? Not really. I mean, we, we wanted to build this thing step by step. You know, we wouldn't, didn't want to get ahead of ourselves. And uh, it's just been really pleased every year we've taken one extra step. You know, we started off two and 12 um, and, and we're in a lot of games and weren't able with our, our, our freshmen and just being 30 freshmen deep, just we weren't able to get over that hop. And the next year went six and eight. And, you know, had some opportunities to make the tournament, beat a ranked team in Colgate, uh, was three and one at one point in the conference. And the next year, beat two top 10 or two top 20 teams and in the same boat, but just weren't able to get over the hump. And then this year, you know, to take that huge step, beat 10 and three and then beat Loyola, get in the tournament and, you know, playing for a two seed on Friday night. So I wouldn't change anything. I'm really pleased of how the seniors have grown uh, both culturally and as players and, you know, it kind of had a plan coming in, and, and it's kind of come to fruition. So couldn't be more happy with the program and, and where we're headed. Paulie, uh, Andy Towers here checking in. Congrats on a huge win over the Hounds last Saturday. Um, sort of transitioning from RD's question about, you know, building a winning culture and a winning program. You know, obviously recruiting is sort of the foundation to any successful college sports program. Um, when you go through the recruiting process and you're evaluating the prospects that have expressed interest and you've got a ton of great prospects and you've got, you know, a few spots outside of, you know, their athleticism and their skill set, you know, what intangibles specifically do, are important to you in recruiting and how do you evaluate those intangibles to feel confidently that you're bringing in guys that have characteristics that ultimately will become characteristics of the culture of your program. I think we, we put as much stock in in the intangibles as we do in, in how they can you know shoot, how they run, how they can defend. Uh, for us, it, it's it's all about their character. It's are they good kids? Um, you know, do we notice? Um, uh, you know, do we know any, any flaws when they come up for their recruiting visits? Are, do they respect their parents? Are their parents good people? Uh, then we talk to as many people as we can that, that know them. We talk to their high school coach. We talk to the club coach. A lot of times we'll talk to their guidance counselor uh, and, and just trying to just make sure that 
you know, we all, we all know what a commitment playing college lacrosse is. We all know the, the rigors of playing a sport and, and going to a fine academic institution, and, and they have to be able to handle that. And at the end of the day, we're going to run into adversity, and, and we need 50 guys that can handle it and, and thrive in it. So, you know, it's way more important to us uh, that the kids can handle that. Uh, and we, we know we can develop, and we we got a great coaching staff, and we have confidence uh, that they'll be prepared if, if if we coach them up. And for us, it's just how are they going to handle that adversity? Because if you look up and down, team one through 71, everybody's so close. Everybody's good. So it, it really comes down to those little plays, uh, and we would just feel better if we, if we have guys um, that are tough, understand adversity, and can handle those adversities. Got it. Well, clearly you're, uh, you guys are getting the job done based on the improvement of your program over the last four years. Uh, you know, just recently it was announced that they are, uh, you know, making drastic given the rule changes here. Uh, what do you think the biggest challenge is going to be for prospects and their parents, given the change in the recruiting landscape, and the biggest challenge for the coaches? I think the biggest challenge right now is, is for the prospects not to freak out. I mean, we're, we're, we're trying to manage our, you know, the rule going into effect immediately that, that kind of threw a wrench to everybody. Cause we just hadn't been in contact with our prospects and our commits about what this, you know, if this came down, what it would look like. So we're trying to get the message across to our club coaches that, you know, we're business as usual and, you know, the commitments are going to go, but we can't talk to the kid. And obviously that would, be the most ideal thing is to have the conversation with the kids and the parents. So, you know, for the commits not to freak out and then for anyone who hasn't committed to just, you know, I think a lot of, you know, 2020s and 2019s are like, Hey, I'm just going to play my season, going to play my high school season. And then I'm going to play my, you know, my summer and then look at schools and I'm going to commit. And now they can't talk to anybody until September 1st. So just getting used to the new legislation and just understanding that there's plenty of time and this is a good thing and that it's certainly just because it's new for the kids to stay patient and calm and it's all going to work out. If you're a good player and a good person, it's going to work out for you. On, on the college coach's side, I think it's for us is, is just kind of understanding the rule, how it's going to affect, um, you know, communication with, you know, obviously we can't communicate anymore with, with the prospects. Uh, you know, are people going to find loopholes or are coaches, uh, you know, what, what's going to happen and, and how can you, uh, you know, do right by the rule? Uh, you know, keep let the kids be kids, uh, but also make sure that when September first comes, you're in great position to recruit the top prospects for your for your institution. So on that on that Rye, um, you know, in in a lot of this has already kind of played out over the last couple, or will play itself out over the next couple of years because many of the recruits are already kind of committed. And so that communication will start in a few months, especially with the 2019s and then soon after that, the 2020s. But do you feel like BU and Boston University is at a disadvantage when we're three to four years down the road and major you know, institutions start to uh, bring kids onto campus in September 1st and afterwards? Uh, do you feel like you know, the time is short now for a school like BU uh, to compete at the top with those best prospects out there? I think we just got to keep winning, Rye. I mean, that, that's the thing. If, if we yep. keep winning, uh, we have a, we got an unbelievable city. We had an unbelievable or a top 40 academic institution. Uh, kids love to yep. go to school in Boston. We're in a great league. If we keep winning, there's no reason that we can't be mentioned the same sentence as the ACC schools, the Ivy League schools. Yep and the Big Ten schools. So, you know, I view it as a challenge for us to keep the program on an upward trend. Uh, and then certainly uh, we have a lot to offer. And, and the job for us is when September 1st hits, that already have identified the process, the prospects that are best going to fit our institution and, and make sure they don't commit before they, they come visit. Because once we get kids on campus, uh, you know, the kids are always, you know, super impressed with the facilities that we have and just the vibe on our campus. So the biggest thing for us is getting them there so, you know, when September 1st hits, it's, it's going to be like the old days where you're just on the phone like crazy, you know, just trying to make sure that your short kids are going to get to your campus. Uh, obviously, a huge game coming up Friday night against Holy Cross. Um, and obviously, Holy Cross is, is more or less 
put a damper on your season the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I would think that the team now has a lot to stand for. As you said, a, a shot to get to the number two seed in the PLT. Uh, but more importantly, I think it's a state championship uh, yeah. for Boston University, um, right? I mean, and, and the mentality for your team. Uh, what's the outlook just general for uh, this weekend's game? Yeah, I mean, we the, the schools have created a, a pretty – unique competition called the Turnpike Challenge or, or Turnpike Trophy. And, um, uh, you know, there's a rivalry certain starting to build between our two programs, pretty similar, um, you know, with our academics. And um, you're right, that they've, they've pretty much we've, – we've had an opportunity to make the Patriot League tournament the last two years if we won this game and weren't able to do it. But, you know, we just want to keep playing well. I mean, that, that's the thing. Even when we lost yes. the Army game, you know, we could take – um, you know, we, we could go back and look at the film and just say, guys, we, we did all things right. We had the opportunity to win the game. Um, we played well enough. We, we just didn't make the plays at the end. And that kind of rolled over to Loyola. And, and we just wanted to keep this thing going. So, you know, obviously they're going to present some different challenges with a 10-man ride and certainly the, 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 how quickly they slide. So things that we haven't really seen that much this year. So it's just another opportunity to go against a great team and a, and a really well-coached uh, program and, and play our best ball. Awesome, Rye. Well, we don't want to take any more of your time. Obviously, congratulations. A huge win this past weekend, and obviously another huge contest coming up Friday night. Uh, we wish you the best of luck, uh, and the best of luck in the Patriot League tournament coming uh, in the future, and uh, hopefully you get that uh, that nod uh, to make it to the national tournament first time in program history. Thanks so much for coming on. Keep Hi, guys. Paulie. Good luck. Thanks, Towers. We'll see All you. Right, see you later. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to finish up our picks. Maximize your comfort. At Sisu, we take a very scientific approach to making sure our technologically advanced, doctor-developed, scientifically-backed, industry-changing mouthguards are the most protective, lightest, talkable, breathable, comfortable, drinkable, removable mouthguards on the planet to guarantee you're protected. No matter what comes your way, the Sisu Next Gen. Sisu. Talk. Breathe. Drink. This call is being recorded. Incredible outlook from obviously one of the best coaches in the country taking just in his four years um, just an outstanding job uh, what he's done uh, being able to knock off Loyola a huge win for the program uh, with such a dominant traditional program coming into uh, Boston and them doing it by the way I took the money line on that one (laughs) you did you got it he's done Um, an unbelievable job man he really really has. has and it's impressive to see what he's done and obviously I'm very pumped for him to finally get the monkey off the back uh, and get into the tournament and especially going against Holy Cross this weekend that's why I'm I'm taking BU on this one I think they're just going to go in and crush it um, but again hey look they're still a young team there's still a, not a ton of experience on the team um, but then again you look at the way they played over the course of the, of the year uh, this year and then certainly the improvement they've had over the last four years uh, impressive to see what BU's done we're back on track, though. But, A.T., who is your coach of the week? Uh, just before I do that, I want to give a shout-out to uh, Mike DeStefano, Cornell, class of 88. Uh, he's recovering from a heart attack that he suffered uh, playing in a club lacrosse game, believe it or not, about 10 days ago. And he... Uh, is somebody that is uh, couldn't be a bigger winner and somebody that we are pulling forward to make a speedy recovery. Um, out in, in his terms, after speaking to Timmy Goldstein, one of his best friends, uh, Mike DiStefano has made it out of the torture chamber, is what he called uh, his recovery uh, you know, room. And uh, so, Mike, we're pulling for you to continue to make progress and be back faster, slicker, and quicker than ever. So uh, shout out to Mike DiStefano. Um, my coach of the week, uh, my runner-up coach of the week first, as you know, RD, I like to do it that way, is none other than Ryan Poley for the biggest win in BU program history in overtime against him. Last year, 2016, Final Four, Loyola Greyhounds, a huge W, uh, a close Runner-up as well was Ricky Soule 
uh, throwing all records out the window in a 10-6 win over Army. Uh, but my coach of yep. the week this week goes to Hopkins alum, Brian Volker. Love the it. Drexel Dragons coming back from a 9-2 deficit. I think it was 10-3. What was it? I think it was 10-3 at one, 10-3 ah, at one so, point. Such, such an unbelievable uh, recovery for Brian Volker. Drexel Dragons beating college Johns Hopkins teammate Seth Tierney and knocking undefeated Hofstra out of the undefeated ranks. So my coach of the week, Brian Volker, Drexel Dragons. I love it. Uh, my assistant coach of the week goes to guy from Maryland uh, who's been doing a great job. Uh, he's got a stable of talent at his disposal. But it was a big game. Uh, and he performed uh, big time in this, keeping composure. But 13 goals versus Rutgers in a, I believe, double overtime. Was it do- double or triple, triple overtime? Triple overtime, I believe. Triple overtime. Yeah. Uh, J.L. Reppert has done a great job and has been since being on board uh, with uh, Coach Tillman. So my assistant coach of the week goes to J.L. Reppert. Hell of a job uh, in putting up 13 against a great team in Rutgers. Uh, and, and surely is securing Maryland at the top and still, for me, uh, in, in the Final Four discussion when you want to do predictions. AT, who is your player of the week? Uh, first, my runner-up has got to be, this was close, but my runner-up is Justin Gooderding, six goals, four assists, and a 20-11 to 11 win over the University of Virginia. I mean, Justin Gooderding has played himself into the conversation for first-team All-American at the position of attack. He just has. I mean, I was down on Duke in the beginning of the year. I thought they would finish last in the ACC. And, you know, they're they're one of the best te- best teams in the country. I mean, they're, they're currently ranked, I think, three in the media poll. I had them ranked four. Uh, or they're ranked four in the media poll. I had them ranked three. Uh, but he's my runner-up. My player of the week. How did he not win? <laughs> you know what? It, uh, I ended up going to New Haven. And watching the Yale-Brown game. And Ben Reeves put on a clinic. Five goals, five assists. Seemed like every time they had the ball, he had a hand in making them score. Uh, With I I can't remember him having a turnover. I mean, the fact that he's putting up that many points and not making mistakes. You know, every time he shoots, he's looking high and shooting low and away. I mean, he's just an unbelievably – good player and you've been a huge advocate over the course of the season so my player of the week ben reeves i love it i love it uh my player of the week reed bowering five and two in that massive comeback um and pulling down the last undefeated team of 2017 no team is undefeated this year uh also impressive but uh reed bowering from drexel five and two uh down the stretch um and just an impressive Impressive uh, victory. So here's the city. We're going to continue our picks here. Wait, we've got to go over last week, don't we? Oh, yeah, last week's. That's important. And I think I came on the short end. Uh, you did, week. but just barely. You know, I, it, it was uh, after Saturday's game. We both did real well this week. After Saturday's game, it was tied. Uh, I was Sick. at 19 and 8, and you were at 19 and 8. And going into the Maryland Rutgers game, I had Maryland in the over at 24, and you had Maryland in the under at 24, and Maryland did not cover. Uh, the over-under was 24, and fortunately, it went into overtime at 12-12. These guys at LVL are incredible. Uh, <laughs> needless to say. Except for the fact that they were late getting us the lines this morning, and that's why we were late. It wasn't really our fault. They were, but... Basically, what happened is I was 28 on the week. You were 19 and 9. And now, overall, after nine weeks, we are dead <laughs> even at 177 <laughs> and 164 apiece. So that's incredible. It really is incredible. Um, but that's where we're at. Well, I'm excited for the next week, obviously, and I like my picks already, and we're halfway through. Michigan goes to number eight Hopkins at Homewood Field. Michigan's goal differential in conference games right now has been brutal. Hopkins is favored by five goals. The over-under here is 23.5. What do you got here, AT? Uh, I think it continues. I think the trend continues. Uh, Michigan got off to a great start to the season. I think they were 7-0 or 8-0, but they hadn't played anyone. And then they entered 
the big, well, they beat a huge, they beat Penn, which was a huge game for them at the time. Penn was ranked. Um, top 10. Yeah, in the top they, 10. they were. They're no um, longer there, though. You know, but but they've they've gotten destroyed in league play. They just have. It seems like, along with their loss to Notre Dame, league play has been, you know, every game a loss of seven or eight goals at a time. I don't see this game being any different. Hopkins is, is the most established team in terms of playing uh, you know, the, the toughest schedule. They played nine top 20 teams. It just really is incredible. I see that trend continuing. I see Hopkins covering five. Uh, you know, I can see it being like 18 to nine or, or something like that. So I'm going to take Hopkins and I'm going to take the over, even though it's a high number at 23-5. I'm going to take Hopkins by five. I'm going to take the over as well. Um, I just... The trend in conference games for Michigan is is not good. I think it started with a 14-7-ish loss to Rutgers. Uh, it didn't work again. I think it was 18-7 against Ohio State. Ohio State. Yep. Maryland wasn't any better either. I, have they played? It's just it's just not not good right now. Um, and so for that reason, I'm taking Hopkins. I just think that the faceoff to the goalie. But the interesting plot line though is Jerry Logan. Uh, is not playing at this point of the season, but Jerry Logan is very much, um, you know, interested in an interesting dynamic with a team right. playing a team with a former player on right. it. That's pretty neat. Uh, Duke goes to Wisconsin to play Marquette at a 1 p.m. game. Duke is favored, first off, ranked number four in the country, favored by four goals. The over under here is 21 and a half. This is an interesting game as it's first off being played very far away, and two, Marquette seems to interestingly play well in these types of games. What do you got on this one, AT? True, except I think they did lose to Duke 16-1 to last year, didn't they? Um, uh, maybe it was two years ago. I don't remember. But I, I'm with you. I mean, um, look, Joe Amplo knows John Donowski real well. Um, but I just see Duke playing at such a high level right now. Kyle Turry having a ton of success at the faceoff X. Uh, not Kyle Terry, Kyle. Kyle Rowe. I'm sorry. Kyle um, you know, and Marquette's got a good guy, and they're playing in Marquette. I just think Duke's offense is too strong for Marquette. Uh, I like Duke to cover here. Then the question becomes, do they cover 21 and a half? Marquette's a defensive team, but they still gave up, what, 17 goals to Villanova last week? I just think that Duke is a little scarier than Villanova. Um, and I think they're playing really, really well. I like Duke, and I like the over. I'm taking the over, but I like Marquette in this one. I, I don't think it's going to be a low-scoring affair. I think it's going to be like 12-14 or something like that. Um, it could even be a little lower than that. But I'm going to take the over here, and I'm taking Marquette plus four. I'm not taking the win. No way I'm taking the money line on this. Um, but I do think that this sets up well for Marquette. Uh, it's not important for Duke. Duke is still young, remember that, uh, and experience in these kind of matches to have the maturity to p- continue to play as you think they will, which is, again, if it happens, it happens, and it's understandable. But if it doesn't, I'm not surprised, and I think it doesn't in this week. So I'm taking Marquette plus four in a, a lot closer game than I think a lot of people will imagine. Number 13, Richmond, goes to Air Force out there in Colorado Springs, Richmond's favored by three. The over under here is 17, which I think is massively high. Uh, AT, what do you got here? Uh, you know, I think that anybody that's had to play Air Force at Air Force knows that this is just a really scary team to play, um, you know, in their environment. If they were playing in Richmond or basically anywhere else, I would take Richmond and I would take the over. With that said, the fact that they're playing in Colorado Springs, they played, I think last year was two Air Force 9-8 victories. I I think that was the case. So I think Air Force is coming to this game, and I think that they're going to play Richmond well. I don't think they win, but I do think they cover, and I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I can see it like 7-5, something like that. So I'm going to take Air Force, and I'm going to take the under. I'm going to take – I wanted to take – first off, I'm definitely taking the under. Uh, 17 goals is, like, tremendously too high for both teams. And if it's going to be that low scoring of a game, I just don't know how Richmond's going to cover the three right. goals. 
Um, if anything, it's a push. I could definitely see a push on this. Barstool uh, like a, 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 a nine, <laughs> right? Did he did he get the push? By the way, he's a sick individual. Barstool <laughs> um, push Richmond. No, it was seven goals, not five goals. He went a push on the <laughs> Richmond Bellarmine game. <laughs> he he picked the push in the over. <laughs> Uh, I I feel like I kind of want to take the push on this one. I want to take the push, which would be, I don't even know what kind of a, a a money line you could get on a push call, but he took green. I'm taking, um, I'm taking Air Force plus three here, and I'm taking the under. Uh, that simplifies yeah. it. Number two Maryland goes to Ohio State in the shoe to play number seven Ohio State in Columbus. Maryland's favored by one in this. The over under here is twenty two. What do you think? I think it's amazing how strong the Big Ten is. You know, I, I listen. I, I the way I the way I put my poll together is not reflective of who I think the best team is. My poll, as we've talked about many times, is based on the body of work, based on where the teams are ranked going into that weekend's games, right? And I've been down on Maryland because they hadn't played a tough schedule. But now you look at the way the teams are ranked and Maryland's starting to climb right up the rankings. With that said, I think Maryland's the the best team in the country. You know, I I got them. I got Syracuse. you know, I, Notre Dame or Denver, but but again, I went with Syracuse, Notre Dame, Maryland, and Ohio State about three, four weeks ago when you asked me who my final four was. This is a really mm-hmm. tough game. With that said, I think Maryland's the best team. I think Maryland is going to win the game, but they're going to have their hands full out there with Ohio State, but I think Maryland wins it. Um, I think Ohio State, I think, is going to win the faceoffs. Rutgers won the faceoffs, and I love Maryland's group. I think it's going to be a close game. But I do think Maryland wins it. Then it comes down to the 22. Does Maryland cover that? Does it end up being like 10-8? Um, or is it more high scoring? Ohio State's starting to score. Maryland's – I'm going to take over. I'm going to take Maryland. I'm going to take the over. I think it's going to be, um, you know, a bar stool, Jordy, push like 12-10 Maryland. But I'll take Maryland and I'll take the over. I'm taking OSU on the money line. I'm taking Ooh, OSU plus it. one. And I'm taking the over. Uh, the over on this one. Right. I think that uh, I think Ohio State in the shoe is a deadly force. I think that Ohio State's playing well. I think Maryland's playing well, but I just feel like it wouldn't be right if Ohio State didn't beat Maryland. This is going to be Maryland's first, in my opinion, Maryland's first loss in conference. I believe. I don't think they've lost in conference yet. Um, no, and they haven't. It's going to happen, and if, and if it does happen, it's going to happen this weekend at two p.m. Um, so I'm taking Ohio State beating up uh, Withers beating up on Henningsen. Yep. I've got a better goal, a better goalie. Although I will say Dan Morrison playing much much better than he was. In he the beginning played of the better season. down the stretch of the Rutgers game. The first quarter he was not good. They had I think six yeah. goals and six shots or something like that. Then he played great in overtime. With that said, I thought that both teams in that Rutgers Maryland game were aided. Both goalies were aided by the fact that those teams were shooting high down the stretch of the game, which I could not figure out. Uh, Don't disagree. Don't disagree at all. So I'm taking OSU on the money line, taking OSU plus one, and I'm taking the over. Mm -hmm. Binghamton goes to number one Syracuse, 2 p.m. Syracuse, not a lot of of, – uh, confidence here in Binghamton, but Syracuse is favored by five and a half. Twenty-three and a half is the over/under here. What do you got? Ben Williams looks like he's healthy. He was ACC Defensive Player of the Week. Controlled the faceoffs down the stretch in the Carolina SU game last weekend was obviously a key to SU being able to come back and ultimately win that game in overtime. I think he's going to control the faceoffs. I think Binghamton's going to have a tough time stopping Syracuse. Um, five and a half goals. I, I'm going to take Syracuse. It comes down to 23 and a half. I think Binghamton can score some goals. I'm going to take the over. Syracuse in the over. I'm definitely taking the over, but I'm taking Binghamton to cover at least five goals. Here. All right. I don't think they win this. Um, I think Syracuse. Uh, definitely wins this, and I think they win comfortably as well. 
Um, but I, I don't. Th I think five and a half, six is too much. Uh, I think that Binghamton at least keeps it within five. Uh, so I'm taking Binghamton plus five and a half, and I'm taking the over. Number 15, Towson, goes to Fairfield at 3 p.m. Towson's favored by three. The over under here is 18. This smells like mm -hmm. trap all this over does. the place. What do, you, what do you got, A.T.? You know, I was a huge proponent of Fairfield in the beginning of the season just based on what they returned. They returned a ton of good players from a team that lost to Towson in the CAA tournament final, I think 4-2 or something creepy like that. Um, <laughs> I just think that – I think that Woodall changes Towson at the X – and I think he's one of the most dominant guys. And then you marry that with Sean Madeline's defensive schemes. They got a couple of big-time offensive players at the offensive end. And Fairfield is – they can't get to the summer fast enough. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to take Towson, and I am going to take uh, – I'm going to take the over in this game. Even though 18, Towson's usually been a team that we've gone on the under with. I'm going to take the over in this game. I just feel like uh, – like Towson's going to break through and score a lot of goals. I got a Towson the other. Uh, I'm going to, uh, Fairfield plus three in this, Ooh. and I'm taking the under. And, you know, the last time we saw Fairfield go up against a great faceoff guy, it was a very close game against Penn State away. Yeah. This one's at home and an interesting matchup. I think that it's either going to be exactly what you said. It's going to be a blowout or it's going to be a very close one. Uh, I'm not taking Fairfield on the money line, but I do think that they'll cover the three goals. But there's no way either team scores more than the 18 combined goals. So I'm taking Fairfield. St. John's goes to number 18, Villanova. Villanova's favored by four goals. The over-under here is 23. What do you got, A.T.? Uh, Villanova needs this game to offset some of the bad losses that they had the first half of the season. Uh, the good news for them is that they're playing really, really well. I think Villanova's peaking at the right time. They've gotten better and better each week. Again, they threw up 17 on Marquette last week and a huge win for them. I don't think they've been held under 10 goals the entire year. I just see this as a tough matchup for St. John's against a team that needs to continue to win. Um, so I've got Villanova to cover here. 23 goals. Villanova might cover that within, by, by themselves. So I got Villanova and I got the over. Uh, I'm going to take Villanova in this one as well. Uh, St. John's is, is with this short of, you know, I think the Syracuse game, yep. right? It was like a one or two goal game. Yeah. Uh, it's been ugly for them all season. And same with Fairfield where they're out. Uh, I think St. John's has kind of packed it into Villanova covers this. I'm going to take the under in this, um, and I'm not really sure why, other than the fact that I felt like I've taken the over in everything except for the Richmond Air Force. That's right, game. you have. So I'm t I am taking the under in this one. Number 20, Providence College, coming off the loss from Brown last night, goes to Denver to play number four, Pioneers. Denver's favored by five. The over-under here is 21 and a half. What do you got? Tough time to have to travel to Denver and play them after a midweek overtime loss to crosstown rival Brown, uh, where PC played well enough to win the game. I watched a big part of it. They were up by three goals, you know, in the third quarter and down the stretch. Uh, they, I, I love the PC goalie Tate Boyce. You know, Brownie gave us some great color great. on them as well as you know a team that. DU has a ton of respect for. Gabs is a great coach. He's done an awesome job with this team. Um, you know, the PC of 2017 is not the PC of 1994, that's for sure. Um, but to have to go to Denver three days after they lose in overtime on a Tuesday night game, that's going to make Wednesday practice today a little bit uh, tiring, you know, and then they've got to get ready for Denver perhaps the scariest offense in the country or, or one of the you know top two, three. Um, and then DU has a week to prepare for this. Trevor Baptiste is going to destroy them at the X after Ted Ottens from Brown destroyed them last night. So that means Denver's going to win most of the faceoffs. Denver's offense is off the charts. PC has to travel. This is going to be a tough game for PC. Um, I got Denver and I've got the over. I'm taking Providence plus five here. I just think that five is too much. 
I think that there's not enough respect here for Providence defense, the overall confidence that the team has. Look, I think the best thing for Providence, you could argue, is the, is the midweek loss to Brown. Um, you know, they found a way to play in tight games. They came, you know, Brown came back. You know, now all of a sudden, you, like, you're, you're just filling the holes. They need this game to stay alive uh, in the Big East. This is a big game for them, and I know it's on the road, and I, I, I really do think Denver's going to win this, but plus uh, minus five is a big spread. So I'm going to take Providence plus five here, and then I'm also going to take the over. Um, I think 21 and a half. Look, if if it's a five goal spread, they've got to score over twenty two goals uh, combined. So I, I'm taking the over, but I'm taking plus five on that. Number fourteen Rutgers goes to number nine Penn State in a do or die situation, probably for both teams. Penn State is favored by one goal. The over under here is twenty four. What do you got? You know what? I got a lot of respect for the way Rutgers plays. Uh, Brian Brecht has just done such an awesome job. I was watching the Maryland game, and I was positive that Maryland was going to pull away and beat them like 13-6 or, or something like that. And it yep. just didn't happen. Never it just happened. never happened. That guy, Rex Road, is a stud. Uh, yeah, he really he, is. He was fun to watch. Stud. The, the face-off guy for Rutgers is a stud. Francesco or whatever his name is. Um, and Rutgers yep. has – a bunch of guys on the offensive end that play with a lot of swagger, a lot of confidence. They seem to know exactly what their respective role is within each scheme. Um, you know, they had a couple of stick mistakes down the stretch, one turnover in overtime that ultimately led offsides. to that, you know, was just kind of disheartening, but the way they play, they are, they are tough team. Um, and they're playing for their lives. You know, they lose this game to Penn State. They might just be done. Um, yeah. And then you got Penn State, you know, showed a lot of balls coming back after being down to Hopkins last week and, quite frankly, could have pulled that game out. I mean, they really could have. Yes, they could have. Um, and you can see when they win faceoffs, they're a really t- tough team to beat. And against Hopkins, they didn't win faceoffs, yet they were able to come back. Um, but I'm concerned. I think that, I think that Rutgers is just a a half notch tougher than Penn state is. I think they're, they're a little bit more of a defensive minded team than Penn state. While Gerard, our series is a stud at the X and one of the very, very best guys. I think Rutgers is going to be able to compete there. I really do based on how well of a job that guy did against Henningsen and that crew. So I like Rutgers to win outright. I'm going money line asterisks, which isn't that big of a stretch considering PSU is only favored by one goal, but they are at home. But I think Rutgers wins this outright. Then the question becomes, do they get to 24? Um, I think they do. Um, but, but, but I don't know. Um, <laughs> boy, that's a tough number. <laughs> I, I'm going to take Rutgers and uh, I'm going to take the over. I just like the way that they play. I got Rutgers in the over. I'm taking Penn State at home. I'm just giving the home guys the the advantage in this one. Um, Penn State needs this for the the Big Ten tournament. Um, it seems like Maryland and Hop and Ohio State uh, have all but locked up their spots, and this is the game to put them in. Otherwise, the other one's looking is, is not looking good. Um, so I've got I've got Penn State at home, and I'm going to take the over as well in in probably an OT game, which makes us a push on that. So unless Rutgers, of course, wins. Right. And then you've got it. Uh, but game of the week, we got two games left. Game of the week, IYF, number 11 Yale, goes to number 5 Albany Albany at 7 p.m. This is a pick em. Easy one. It's a pick em. Uh The over-under here is 24 as well. What do you got here, AT? I love that this is the IYF game of the week. I think you got two teams that really need this win to – shore up their out-of-conference schedule. I mean, you've got Yale that's still trying to fight themselves out from losses, two bad losses, to Bryant and UMass. You've got Albany, which, again, has firmly shown that they can compete with anyone. With that said, they do not have a top 20 win. Um, 
you know, are they one of the best teams? I don't think there's any question about it. Um, but in terms of them being proven by beating a top caliber opponent, they haven't beat any top caliber opponent. And this is their first crack to beat the best team in the Ivy League, a team that's playing really, really well. Um, this is going to be a great, great, great game. You know, who's going to win the faceoffs? Connor Mackey versus uh, TJ yeah. Ireland. It's going to be an awesome matchup. Um, I, I think that is going to be a little bit of a wash. Um, I like Albany a little bit better in the goal. Even though Albany's been putting up a ton of goals, I actually like Yale's offense better. I think they're more dynamic. With Ben Reeves and Connor Fields, both first-team All-American candidates, um, you know, who has the better supporting cast? And I think Yale has the better supporting cast. I just like the way that they play. I think that they're more well-rounded. Um, I like Yale in this game. Uh, and then... It comes down to 24 goals. I think that Andy Shea prepares his team to play as well as anybody. I love the way Scotty Marr turns his guys loose. I think Andy Shea is concerned about getting into a scoring match with Albany. I think he realizes that that probably favors Albany. So I think that Yale's going to be conscious to value their possessions maybe not play as fast as they did against Brown. I mean, I went to the Yale-Brown game. Yale put up 18 goals against Brown. Brown was rushing some possessions when they needed to slow it down. Yale did not, and Yale still found a way to put up 18 goals. That tells me that, that Andy Shea has respect for Brown, but he knows that at times they'll force the ball and end possessions prematurely when they need a squeeze. Um, That's right. But I think he, I think he's mindful that Yale would rather keep this game, you know, ten eight than try to outscore Albany twenty to eighteen. So I'm going to take Yale, and I'm going to take the under in this game. I'm taking Albany, and I'm taking the over. Um, and I just think Albany. Gets slight advantage at the faceoff X. I think the runs. I was wrong about the runs in terms of what they were going to get. I just is Connor Mackey that He's great, good? man? Is TD Ireland good? That good, right? I mean, how many? You know, I just this is a pick'em, and I'm going to take Albany. I'm going to take the over because I do think it's going to be a 12-13 game. Uh, you know. 14, 16, something like that. Uh, it's going to be high enough because the runs in these games from both teams are going to be high. It's going to be like four goals. I four goals for the other team. Um, so I, I've got Albany in this one. Last game. Is there, is there a UPS guy? Dude, I, I want to take Frank Towers and throw him in the street right now. <laughs> He's so great. Frank, <laughs> shut it! <laughs> <laughs> but it's perfect timing because Frank is probably in the rock bottom bowls. Definitely in the rock bottom bowl in the Towers household, that's for sure. Uh, but AT, finish us off with the IYF. Rock all right. Bowl. Well, um, not a lot of candidates this week. You know, you look at all Ooh. of the games being played, and almost all of them had a team playing that has been having a good year. Uh, so it became kind of evident which game this was going to be. And I hate to do it to him because he's one of our boys. But Torp is uh, in the rock bottom ball this week. Oh, no, High know, Point know, at Jacksonville. High Point having a tough season record-wise. Um, having a tough time at the face-off X. Jacksonville 2-9 and nine or whatever they are. Um, I got High Point at Jacksonville in the RBB this week. Who do you got, RD? Uh, I should, where is I should the actually game? get the Where's pick the game? first because last week you got to pick the rock bottom ball because it was – This is a more 50-50 split though. This is a, this Penn is Harvard a 50 was 50-50 last week. I mean I thought Penn would win. Yeah, that's true. I said that. 
but I took Harvard because you took Penn. All right, you can go ahead, I, pick. I know you're I got a high tour. point. I think high point rolls. Yeah, of course. Where is the At game? Jacksonville. Ah, well, that makes it easy, at least a little easier for me. I'll take I'll take Jacksonville. There, I think they're on a two game winning streak. Is that right? Might be. Did they play VMI twice in the last two weeks? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but uh, I want to say they've they've managed like they've won two out of the last three or something. So. We've got major discrepancies uh, in this week's picks. I mean, this is either going to be like win big or lose big. <laughs> We have, we have, that's all for the show today. Uh, as always, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at In Your Face Lax. We'll be back next Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. We'll have guests on as well. Uh, we'll tighten up the show and make sure that we have our guests and listeners uh, lined up and audio we'll be back lined with up. Tons so you guys aren't here. problems at 9 a.m. <laughs> show up and, we will. and wait for 18 minutes before we sort them out. Yes. Uh, but uh, thanks for the listen as always. Enjoy the weekend of lacrosse, and we'll be back next week. Thanks again. At Sisu, we take a very scientific approach to making sure our technologically advanced, doctor developed, scientifically backed, industry changing mouth guards are the most protective, lightest, talkable, breathable, comfortable, drinkable, remoldable mouth guards on the planet to guarantee you're protected. No matter what comes your way. The Sisu Next Gen. Sisu. Talk. Breathe. Drink. This call is being recorded.